This is a Soul Fire production. Hi, this is Kimberly Kleiman Lee, executive coach, performance consultant, and host of the Do I Dare podcast. If you're a leader who wants to inspire, empower, and raise the leadership bar, then you have come to the right place, my friend. Here you will get access to powerful yet practical solutions that elevate your performance and dissolve roadblocks. Do you dare to lead in a way that moves the needle and scales the impact? Yeah? Then let's do it. Hello again. Welcome back to the Do I Dare podcast. This is Kimberly Kleiman Lee, your host. I'm so glad you're joining us for episode 10. This is a continuation of episode 9, which focused and introduced you to The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. It's one of my new favorite experiments, and I am still doing it and so excited to tell you about not only my progress, but to deep dive on one of the activities that he highlights in his methodology. So a bit of a recap, at the end of January, beginning of February, I was introduced to this book called A Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. He's the author. And in essence, Hal set out to look at and study what the most successful people did as their morning routine. And through his research, he found that uh, the most successful people did a combination of six activities. So he decided to group those six activities into an acronym and create a bit of a practice around it. And it has since gone viral. It's really pretty incredible. So I'll put a link to the documentary in the book again in the show notes. But as a recap, his six activities are put into an acronym called SAVERS. He calls it the Life Savers. And the acronym stands for silence, which I interpret as meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing, which I interpret as journaling. Now, in his book, he unpacks all sorts of ways that you can interpret and and make these six practices your own. I have certainly done that in a number of ways, but today's episode focuses on the first of those six activities, the um, saver called silence. And again, I'm going to probably lean heavier toward the meditation version of that and maybe some of the things we're trying to help or to enhance when it comes to the use of, of silence in meditation. So I, like many, think the brain is just an exceptional instrument. I've been fascinated about it for several years now and certainly want to figure out how to maximize my brain's performance. So over the years, I've run the gamut of being stressed and fatigued, anxious, exhausted, unfocused, and certainly at times overwhelmed or agitated. I, unfortunately, at the time thought I was in balance, mostly, until I started reading about the benefits of meditation and the perils of stress. And it started probably about maybe nine, 10 years ago of of sorts. So back then, and unfortunately for a few years after that, I noticed myself starting to get anxious at work. I averaged between 65 and 80 hours um, of work easily. And I did that for months. It was chronic. And it was really starting to wear on me. I could sense myself Uh, evolving into something I didn't want, right? Being tired, being anxious. I was grasping with memory loss. I was having a hard time clarifying my thoughts. I was having difficulty focusing when I finally did get time to really focus on a very specific task and complete it at the speed at which and with the amount of detail 
that I had always prided myself on doing. And I knew that the stress was starting to wear. So a colleague of mine introduced me to a tool called the Insights Timer. Back then, it was one of the most popular meditation websites to go to. So they explained how it worked, and it was quite simple. You could pick a topic or a time frame that you wanted to meditate about or for, and you did what the person who was helping you meditate um, on the website told you to do. And uh, I was frustrated, quite frankly. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't focus. I couldn't get the stops, the, the thoughts to stop racing through my mind as I had partitioned off the time to complete this task. And I treated it like a task that needed to be checked off as opposed to a state of mind that I needed to gently get myself into. So all of that left me feeling more exhausted than when I started. And quite frankly, it, it just made me feel like I failed at the practice. So I put it away for a while until I saw a news segment featuring Dan Harris. So some of you might have heard about this guy's story. So while hosting a news segment on ABC, Dan Harris had what he considers to be a panic attack on air during his, um, his report. I'll put a clip to the video in his show notes. I'm, I'm sure he'll appreciate more people, even more people. I think there's like 2 million views of this video, but uh, he calls it his most embarrassing moment ever. Um, but I got to tell you, it's uh, changed a lot of lives. So I appreciate his brave attempt at, at really diving in and understanding what happened to him. So after watching, not necessarily the panic attack, but I watched the story that he did about his panic attack. After watching this, I just sat back and thought, gosh, I think that is me. That is how I feel at times. I can't catch my breath. I'm exhausted. I'm fatigued. I'm losing focus, etc. So again, he bravely used that experience to fuel a research project for himself that has now turned into a passion project. So he has since written a book called 10% Happier. Highly, highly, highly recommend that book. It's a great read. He, he wrote it um, exceptionally well, and it's very informative. He unpacks the events that led up to the panic attack, and then all of the work that he's done since to help calm his system, improve his health, and make him incredibly productive and fulfilled at his work and his life, quite frankly. So again, I'll put all of those links in the show notes. But that then began a bit of a self-study for me, quite frankly. And I think in, in that regard, it was a combination of, I've got to take better care of myself and it's got to start with my mind. And I really have to calm the system down and take care of and understand and respect what quiet and calm and space for thought can actually do to help me be the kind of person I want to be. So as I mentioned, I think the world of work and life has become so complicated and so fast and so overwhelming that people are feeling busy, stressed, tired, um, exhausted, anxious, you name the feeling. And we're all trying to, to not only deal with it, but to overcome it in certain ways. Most of us, me included, resort to all sorts of external ways, resources to alter our brains, some of which include medication. So things like stimulants and depressants and antidepressants become pretty popular ways to do the job. 
And I found after dabbling in some of those that there's probably a better, more healthier, um, and a uh, more sustainable way to deal with the pressures and stresses that come our way. And I'll introduce you to a couple of the categories that we're probably all um, splashing in, um, if you will. And then I'll introduce you to some of the meditative practices that I've tried on and then the one that I ended up settling with. So some of us are using stimulants, depressants, and antidepressants to, again, do the job. I'm sure you guys remember this stuff from middle school and maybe high school uh, in terms of studying it. But stimulants are things like caffeine and nicotine. And then there's, of course, the hard stuff, cocaine and meth. Caffeine was my drug, if you will, of choice. Uh, I love a good Diet Coke or a Coke Zero. And I most look forward to, I don't even like the taste of it. I actually just look forward to the energy boost that I get from the caffeine within it. Uh, And for me, it's just enough to get through a day. Uh, If I know I'm going to have a long day, I might have a second or a third. But I also happen to know that the aspartame and other things within that drug of choice, if you will, is not serving me well. I can tell that my joints ache. I end up getting really foggy when the caffeine wears off. Again, not a natural or sustainable solution for me. Some folks turn to nicotine, cigarettes, um, same thing, highly addictive and creates other health concerns for those who um, choose to partake. And last, cocaine and meth, again, probably the most serious and probably the most dangerous of the stimulant family. Uh, It's interesting when you really study the way that cocaine and meth actually work in the brain when you think about, again, what folks are trying to do. In this case, cocaine and meth actually block the reuptake of dopamine in the brain. Dopamine is the, um, is the chemical in the brain that um, creates this property of energy um, for all of us. That's what we're all kind of going after. For cocaine or meth, this means that the brain does not naturally clear out the dopamine and then it builds up in the synapses and it creates this kind of euphoric state, this alertness that people will crave because once it wears off, the body wants more of it. And that's why um, much of the literature says that meth is actually addictive, becomes addictive after the first use. That heightened amount of dopamine within the brain just can't be done without. Um, And that's where that craving kind of starts and, and, and continues on. Depressants, on the other hand, second category we're going to talk about today, does just the opposite. It slows the body down. So stimulants speed it up, depressants slow the body down, uh, and it uh, affects the physiology and the mental processes by calming the system. So this, of course, makes people act in ways that they would otherwise be totally reluctant to. And we've probably mostly had an experience with this in one way or another. Um, and this is used really to to help people calm down after a tough day or to give them some courage going into settings that might be um, a bit jarring or uncomfortable, right? So instead of caffeine to stimulate you, alcohol calms you. The tough uh, version of that, of course, um, something that is meant to suppress or to calm the body down from feeling um, any sort of hardship is an opioid. Now, of course, narcotics in the opioid category are used post-op for folks who have significant pain to manage. And of course, we certainly want folks to get what they need to manage pain 
after a trauma to the trauma to the body like surgery. But when it becomes addictive, um, that's, of course, cause for concern because then it's a depressant that's being used to um, to wipe away all sorts of pain and and that particular human just can't do without. If you think about the third category, and that's antidepressants, this category is usually used to treat clinical depression, anxiety, and other disorders like OCD, PTSD, and so forth. These work by increasing levels of chemicals in the brain called neurotransmitters. And certain neurotransmitters like um, serotonin or non-adrenaline are linked to mood and emotion. So in essence, antidepressants are meant to flatten you out. They can also impact pain signals sent by nerves, which is sometimes why antidepressants can also be used to relieve long-term pain. And for this particular category of drugs, one of the greatest controversies with antidepressants is that although it certainly alleviates symptoms, it doesn't necessarily identify or resolve the actual cause of them. And what causes the depression, the anxiety, or the pain? And what can you do to avoid those behaviors, activities, practices, and so forth, so that you don't need the antidepressant? And that's why so many physicians who are prescribing antidepressants also will prescribe therapy or psychotherapy and so forth. So I know when I was having my bout of anxiety, my physician recommended a low-dose antidepressant to, again, kind of flatten me out, help me just calm the system down a bit so that I could um, make better choices and and feel um, better overall. The unfortunate part about that is that it caused all sorts of side effects. I wasn't sleeping well at night then. Um, I had headaches during the day. Again, they um, painkillers or any sort of drug really will solve for one thing. It's kind of like whack-a-mole, right? And it'll pop up three other concerns that you might have. So for me, all of that led to I've got to find a better way to take care of myself. This this can't be a lifelong solution for me, especially with regard to the lack of sleep. That was probably the most cause for concern. So that's when I started to think about other ways that I could potentially help and search for a different solution. Now, again, all of this information is not intended to be judgmental, of course, only to inform. And trust me, I've engaged in my fair share of pharmaceutical solutions, um, but I've debated um, also tackling this topic on this podcast because I'm not an expert. I'm just a human on a journey. But I personally have found a better, more powerful and natural way to solve some of the symptoms that I was struggling with for years. And I thought maybe some of you might be in the same position. And that's why I decided to dare to do this podcast, so to speak. So I believe in these benefits, the benefits of meditation so much that I now introduce it to my coaching clients and to my workshop students as just a common practice. We start our sessions and workshop um, with a bit of meditation or intention setting, and I use it as a design element for much of my work. So let's switch gears now and talk about maybe a healthier alternative to helping to manage depression, anxiety, lack of focus, lack of energy, fatigue, and all of those sorts of things that so many of us seem to be struggling with today. Meditation data is just everywhere. You can certainly do your own research. I will put um, my favorite pieces in the show notes, of course. 
But here's just some of the benefits of meditation. It reduces the density of brain tissue associated with anxiety and worrying. It increases your self of well-being through things like yoga and tai chi. It increases your sense of connectedness and empathy. It improves your ability to focus. It makes you more creative. It improves your memory. It helps you to make better choices by improving the functioning of your brain's decision-making centers. It helps people overcome addictions, stress, the effects of long-term violence. It improves cardiovascular health. It strengthens the human immune system. You get sick less often. Makes you more resistant to viruses and infections and certainly the side effects of that. And it reduces mental and physical pain better than morphine, if you can believe that. So again, there are all sorts of sources out there with regard to um, meditation. Um, So many scientific studies that at this point, we just cannot afford to avoid all of the great scientific research um, being produced about the benefits of meditation. So there are three general types of meditation that I'm going to introduce you to, and then I'll explain the one that I ended up settling on. I tried many of these, and for various reasons, they just didn't work for me. Again, I recommend you go on your own journey. Try a bunch, see which one you think is most naturally you, and then settle in for a really rich and robust and regular practice. That's the key here. If you want to reap the rewards, much like physical exercise, you have to give your brain an opportunity to, uh, to exercise in this way as well. So there are so many different types of meditation. I'm going to talk about three categories and give you some examples of each. So the first is focused attention meditation. It's where you concentrate on a thought or an object of sorts. Um, And it's meant to train your brain to, again, be very specific, focused, um, and intentional. There's open monitoring um, meditation. That's the second type, where you observe your breath or your thoughts or the environment around you. You're very aware if you will. You're very astute in understanding kind of the aliveness of what's happening within you. And then the third type is automatic um, self-transcending. You spontaneously experience quieter levels of thought and you're in this um, like unique state of restful alert. Restful alertness is the the key here. So there are a few different ways that you can actually experience uh, some of those. So let me just walk you through a few different types of meditation. And again, you guys can do some research on this. I'll put some more links in my show notes so that you can explore these with a bit of ease. So the first is the concept of gratitude. You've heard me talk about that several times on previous podcasts. It is a form of meditation, quite frankly. The concept of giving gratitude verbally, in written form, or even just taking time to be thoughtful in, um, through thinking it is a form of meditation. You're focusing on the good um, of life. Um, so it helps you count blessings. It helps you be grateful. It helps you send um, good vibrations to the folks who, again, are in your life that have been helpful, joyful, and certainly present. One way to do that is to simply write down every morning five things you're grateful for. That's part of my miracle morning practice. I write down five things I'm grateful for. They could certainly be people. They could certainly be things that people have done for me, or they could certainly just be my circumstances. I have no judgment about that. I write down the first five things that come to um, my mind, knowing that the next day I'll be able to pick another five things 
I'm feeling exceptionally grateful, I'll just continue to write things down until I'm done with it. I have a colleague who had a really neat practice. He just kept a stack of note cards near him. At the end of the night, he'd write um, three things he was grateful for. He would then toss the note card in his closet in a shoebox. And then by the end of a certain period of time, he'd be able to gather up all of those note cards and just read and reflect on all of the blessings he uh, accumulated over that, um, that bit of time. So uh, again, beautiful routine and a great way to constantly stay positive, optimistic, and grateful for all, all that you have. The second type is mindfulness. So some of you might have heard this term in a number of different ways. It's actually been made quite popular over the last 20 years. It's the concept of being present. Um, mindfulness is kind of the intentional, accepting, and non-judgmental focus of one's attention on your emotions, your thoughts, or perhaps the sensations occurring in, in that moment. So um, the concept of mindfulness is a, is a bit of a play on words. The last thing you want is for your mind to be full. Your goal is to actually empty it out. But in this case, um, it's just this sense of awareness. So you're not necessarily filling your mind. You're just being very present. It really comes from this great Buddhist tradition that means insight into the true nature of reality. That's kind of what that stands for. So Vips Asana is the form of meditation that this would take on, um, but it's probably become one of the most popular versions and maybe one of the most misunderstood. It's, it's really quite simple. It just means be present, be aware, um, understand what's going on around you and so forth. Then some of you might have also heard of the term Zen or Zazen is another version of that. It literally translates into seated meditation. So seated, Zen just means seated meditation. It involves focusing the mind on one thing. So the aim of Zazen is just sitting or suspending all judgmental thinking and letting words, ideas, images, and thoughts pass by without getting involved in them at all. So um, uh, you could be in the midst of Times Square, sitting in Zen mode, if you will, and all of the chaos and noise and activity around you wouldn't bother you at all. You would sit in pure stillness and just be aware, but suspend all judgment, all um, thinking about it. Any words, ideas, or images that come to your mind, you just let go as quickly as they, uh, as they enter. There's Christian meditation, which is a form of prayer. It's actually a structured prayer in which an attempt is made to become aware of and reflect upon the revelations of God. So I grew up Catholic and was taught and practiced many prayers indicative of the religion. Uh, meditation is just a, a deeper, more structured form of all of those traditional prayers. They tend to be one smaller prayer that's said over and over and over again either for a certain number of times or in a certain format or for a particular amount of time. Uh, the rosary would be an example of a, of a type of prayer meditation that some might partake in. Yoga is another form of meditation. Some of you might not have thought about it as meditation as much as exercise, but indeed is a meditation. Um, you can, in this case, meditate while moving. So we're going to combine the two. So it's an ancient form of exercise and meditation that comes from India, as I think most of you know, and it has a whole slew of scientifically backed benefits. 
It's been around for thousands of years. And it does have, of course, an undercurrent of a spiritual transition, of which, quite frankly, most of these meditative practices do. One that I practiced was Bikram yoga. Um, I did that for a couple years. It, it, is a, um, it consists of about 26 different poses that you practice in a room of 105 degrees at, get this, 40% humidity. Uh, and it's intended to rep- replicate the climate of India. So that's where the heated room comes in. And through the 26 poses that you do um, at the call-out of an instructor, you are in uh, deep thought and deep stretch. And those two things uh, tend to heal, repair, and energize the body. And I always felt, again, phenomenal when I uh, left the studio after a great Bikram Yoga uh, session. It's never different. It's always the same 26 poses in the same order. Um, and, uh, so it's very anticipatory, you know, what comes next and your goal is to perfect, if you will, although that's, um, an impossibility, perfect the pose, hold it for as long as you can in the right format and so forth and so on. Tai Chi is another one that many of you might've heard of. It's a holistic system of coordinated body posture and movement, breathing and meditation. It's used for health, spirituality and uh, martial arts training as well. So it's um, a, a Chinese martial art, and it's practiced in a couple different ways, certainly because of its defense training and also because of its health uh, benefits. So for those of you who have seen um, the very, it's just a beautiful um, type of meditation to watch, uh, very flowy, a bit of like a dance. And you might have seen folks practice this outside. It's, it's oftentimes coupled with uh, nature, natural settings. I took a, a couple classes to um, a park um, and uh, we practiced Tai Chi. And it was just a really great, calming way to uh, start our class. There's mantra meditation, uh, which is getting closer to the type of meditation that I practice. This originated in the Vedic tradition of India. Again, a lot of the origins of meditation come from India. And it basically involves a repetition of a sound or a phrase called a mantra. Typically, a mantra meditation, you um, allow your thoughts to drift freely rather than making any effort to suppress or control them. So for those of you like me, where your brain is just constantly busy running and feeling impossible to control, Well, that's the whole purpose of meditation, to not control any of your thoughts. You just let them come and go freely, no judgment, no reorganizing, no thinking through them, no solving of anything. You just let them come in and you let them leave effortlessly. And the mantra is meant to just kind of bring you back to this concept of letting go. And then there's transcendental meditation. That's the last one I'm going to introduce you to. Again, there's probably 40, 50 different types of meditation. This was just a little taste test. But transcendental meditation is the one I want to talk a little bit about it. It does happen to be the one that I practice. And again, this isn't a recommendation. This is just an information piece about what has actually worked for me. It's a highly popular form of mantra meditation um, practiced by, you guys might have heard of some of this in the popular press. It's, you know, Oprah, Hugh Jackman, Tom Brady, Ariana Huffington, Jerry Seinfeld, a bunch of other celebrities. 
Uh, of course, that's not the reason I did it. It is one of the reasons I heard about it. Full disclosure, Oprah, anything Oprah does, I feel like I just have a need to try at least. But I had heard about transcendental meditation by a client of mine many, many years ago. And we were just talking about the effects and this person had just come back from a retreat and had me very intrigued and interested. And what I was really fascinated by was um, this particular person also volunteered for an organization that introduced transcendental meditation to military vets and children who are in very vulnerable situations, come from a high crime area, et cetera, et cetera, who are surrounded by trauma much of their very young and, and tender life. So um, the, when he explained all of the benefits and what they were trying to do and the amazing successes that they saw as these uh, individuals started to practice this meditation, I thought, oh, this is too fascinating to not try. So I did. In this case, let me tell you a little bit about transcendental meditation, and I can certainly tell you about my practice. Um, as uh, you might have more interest, of course, just reach out. So the goal of transcendental meditation is to transcend thought. That's the goal. And to reach a state of deep brainwave coherence. That's so much mumbo jumbo, but let me just kind of break it down in the way that I now understand and certainly experience it. As I mentioned before, it's hard for me to sit still. I just have racing thoughts. I feel like I need to constantly be doing something. The running joke in my family is they all want to go to a beach and tan and I want to go up to a place where I can tour, see museums uh, and experience the culture and that sort of thing. Uh, don't get me wrong. A beach is great, but it's, it's um, hard for me to calm down. That probably alone tells me that I probably need at least a couple of beach vacations uh, in the mix. So for me, when I started uh, practicing meditation, I just constantly felt like a failure. I couldn't sit still. The time seemed to go on forever. I was constantly paying attention to the things around me. Again, failure, failure, failure. So I gave up on it until I started to understand that there were different versions of meditation. And the reason I was so drawn to transcendental meditation is because it said, don't, don't fight with the thoughts. If the thoughts are going to come, let them come. If your mind is racing, let it race. It's through rote and routine, the practice of meditating, that eventually your brain empties out and you transcend into this deep state of consciousness. And that, when I do hit it, which isn't as often as I'd like, I must say, um, is really pretty spectacular. It feels like um, the equivalent of like a deep sleep, but you're fully aware. So I can tell when things are going on around me. I can tell when people are around me. I can um, hear, you know, all of those sorts of things, again, are still very, very natural. But you do feel like you're in a, a, a state of deep um, sleep, if you will. So that's just my layperson's description of it. So remember what I mentioned above. Um, there are three basic approaches to meditation, focus, attention, open monitoring, and then um, automatic self-transcending. Uh, the transcendental meditation technique involves no focused attention, um, nor open monitoring. So it's, it's just different. It's a process of automatic self-transcending, allowing you to experience a field of calm, deep calm within you. 
So Transcendental Meditation was started by the Maharishi. Uh, He's a renowned scientist of consciousness. Uh, And he really put a spotlight on Transcendental Meditation. Uh, In essence, it's an ancient practice um, from the yoga tradition of of India. As I mentioned, most meditations uh, were born in India in some form or another. Um, And he had studied the science of it and invited modern medical research to really confirm its benefits. So he was the first person who really said, you know, it works. I invite the medical community to come in and study how and why it works uh, by learning it from me. It takes a tremendous amount of effort to actually learn and become a teacher of it. Two years in residence um, with constant learning and your schooling is much like a neuroscientist, quite frankly. So my teacher, um, who was just exceptional, um, learned from the Maharishi and the the information that she has about the human brain and the way it works um, is really just spectacular. And uh, you, I could just speak with her for hours. The goal here is to really help people understand that the scientific benefits are because of the physical makeup of the brain. And if you can put all of that to use, you will indeed be able to solve all the things that we talked about earlier. Uh, depression, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. So the Maharishi states that there are seven um, states of consciousness. And the fourth of those seven states is the meditative state where you are in the purest of consciousness. You have, have transcended, so to speak. So some of you might be used to think, to um, hearing about consciousness as there's a waking state and a dream state like REM. There's a sleeping state and there's a transcending state. Well, in this case, the Maharishi believes in the seven states of consciousness, again, the fourth being this kind of meditative state or or the transcending state. The Maharishi and his teachers all think about meditation in this way. They say life is like being in a small boat on an ocean during a storm. At its surface level, there is a ton of activity. You're being thrown about. There's a lot to pay attention to. You're constantly in motion. Again, your brain fills with thoughts. It's difficult to be calm and at peace when you're in a small boat on an ocean during a storm. But at the depth of the ocean, let's say one mile down, the ocean isn't at all what it's like on the surface. It's still and naturally silent. So during TM, the body enjoys this same kind of movement. It moves from the surface level of the proverbial ocean, if you will, down to a mile deep where it's still and naturally silent. And that's where we experience profound rejuvenating rest. It's when the brain kind of functions with a significantly greater coherence. Um, and it's a, a pretty spectacular feeling uh, when you're in the midst of it. I mentioned several benefits to meditation above, but here are a few more for you to think about. During meditation, your oxygen consumption actually increases. Your heart rate decreases. Your skin resistance increases. And as electroencephalograms show, there are certain frequencies of blood flow patterns that are significantly higher when you meditate. And then the executive and attention areas of your brain actually show significant arousal and calmness during certain components of of meditation. 
for transcendental meditation, for those of you who are thinking about it, um, here's how it's described by their teachers. It's simple. It's elegant. It's natural. It's effortless. You don't need to concentrate or control the mind at all, which is why I tend to gravitate toward this one. It can be done anywhere. It's not a philosophy. There's no change in lifestyle. There's no belief system. So the goal here is inner peace. So to bring the mind inward instead of paying attention to all of the things outside of me. That's why I love it so much. So in this regard, the um, transcendental meditation um, is actually taught one-on-one. So you go to a certified instructor. It's over uh, four to five days, and it's one hour per day. Um, You are taught the science of meditation and the practice uh, as well, which is why I loved it. So I'm just a natural learner. I soak all of this stuff up, but I loved the practice. And you and your teacher are going through the practice, starting, stopping, starting, stopping, until eventually you have the the kind of the habit and the practice and the um, uh, the procedure down where you can do it on your own. It's practiced twice a day, twenty minutes each time, twenty minutes in the morning and twenty minutes in the evening. Now, here's the thing: I can fit in one twenty-minute session first thing in the morning. I still have a hard time doing twenty minutes in the in the um, afternoon. They recommend you don't do it too close to dinner because you don't want to be awake all night. It, it, again, an energizing source. So for me, I've, I've done the first 20 minutes and I'm working my way back to doing uh, two sessions a day. What I love about transcendental meditation as just a wrap up to that is again, what they've been able to do for the community. And I'm going to uh, attach a couple links. There's tm.org. Uh, there's the David Lynch Foundation. He's the, the gentleman who started all of this philanthropic work around meditation, specifically with TM. Um, And again, there's a whole bunch of of other really great work going on around the practice of meditation overall. So there you have it, a lot of information on the S for savers, and that's focused on silence. I am a huge fan of meditation as an alternative to some of the other things that folks have been turning toward to help with the busyness, the stressfulness, the anxiety that seems to be so fraught um, around the, the globe, especially in light of the stressors of the pandemic. So give it a try. I can't wait to hear what you think, what your experiences have been, and the success uh, that you will hopefully have in your practice of meditation. Until next time, take care and keep daring. Thanks again for listening to the Do I Dare podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share. And we'd love to hear from you. DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Share a topic of interest or a struggle that's top of mind for you. We'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. And for more information about Do I Dare and all things leadership, visit KimberlyKlimanLee.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and stay tuned for exclusive content access to the tools and resources you need to lead.